Hello and welcome to Curiosity Kill the Cat. I am your host, Sarah, and today I am going to be getting into The Godfather Part 1. And what I'll be doing, um, much like the uh, the most talked about freaking uh, thing, subject, movie, uh, th- topic um, over the last three, four, five days... Um, has it even been five days yet? I don't even know. Um, I'm going to do a Snyder Cut chapter by chapter, uh, run through of The Godfather Part 1. Um, so I just went through the whole wedding scene, which is basically the first just about half hour of the film, um, about, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes, um, into the film. And this is like our, you know, if we're building this beautiful, wedding cake that looks like, um, Don Vito's daughter's, uh, this cake literally is the size of me. It looks like it's five foot two tall, um, and probably weighs as much as me. Um, this was quite a cake. So anyways, uh, yeah, this is the, this is the, uh, this is the, the first layer of this freaking film. The first, um, I would say it's not the frosting. It's definitely not the sprinkles. It's definitely not those, you know, fun little icing roses that they put on, you know, like the fun wedding cakes. Um, This is like just the straight up yellow cake layer, right? This is just like the batter, the base. You've got all of our characters freaking boiled down into like almost five minute parts here. You know what I mean? We get, um, the gist of Brando's portrayal, um, within 30 minutes. I mean, quicker than that, but by this whole wedding, you know, um, right before the end of this, uh, this little chapter here, he, before he goes to dance with his daughter, um, he goes to take a swig of wine and he looks at Tom Hagen, Robert Duvall's character. And he's like, well, if there's nothing else, I, you know, I'd like to enjoy and like be a part of my daughter's wedding here and then they cut to him dancing with her and just being this happy joyous father and um Talia Shire who plays the daughter shit I can't remember her name um she is like the ultimate bride here I'm I'll be getting into that a little bit more um but it's this beautiful father-daughter dance you know he's so proud um and it's just, you just see this, um, this beautiful back and forth of like, uh, how Marlon Brando goes with Don. Like at the very beginning, you know, he's quiet. He's listening to this story of, um, of the undertaker talking about how his, uh, daughter was violated and beaten up and her wi- her jaws wired shut. And, um, you know, he's crying because she's never going to be beautiful again, which is like, okay, come on, dude. Um, but anyways, he, in a nutshell, asks Vito to, uh, you know, take out the people, the men that did this, whatever. And, uh, he just looks so disgusted. It's his, the filter is like so dark on this close up of his face and, um, almost like Superman, uh, Justice League style, his eyes just kind of 
come across the screen very slowly. You see like the glint of the white in his eyes, right? Almost like a, a shark. Um, and he turns towards him and he's just like uh, visibly disgusted in his face, right? He's just like, you know, and then he goes into this whole speech. And it's basically like a mind fuck to the Undertaker. Um, you know, he does this thing where he kind of... Uh, breaks the guy down he tells you know the dude just told him this horrible story about his daughter and obviously he's asking for uh the ultimate favor here but uh he just basically says you know my wife's the godfather to your children you don't ask me for coffee you don't even call me godfather um you know and you're asking me to take a life right he has this almost like ned stark moment where he's like you know it's a big deal to you know, asked to take someone out. Okay. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it's not, apparently it's not as, doesn't come as lightly to them as, uh, you would like to believe with all of these other kind of glossy mob mafia shows, um, where it is a little bit more like bang, bang, pow, pow, pew, pew, you know, like take them out. And it's just like, you know, I think there's a little bit more to it than that. And I think um, Scorsese does a beautiful job with um, Casino and Goodfellas. And then, um, what was it? Was it 05 when The Departed came out? I think so. I'll, I'll look into it. Um, but anyways, yeah, there's a lot more um, strings that like have to be pulled and layers and levers and switches that need to go up and down and a lot of like ins and outs and what have you to get that rug to tie the room all together here. So anyways, this whole wedding scene is just, uh, it's really beautiful. And again, we get, we get, we get the whole Scooby-Doo freaking, uh, cast of characters here. Right. And, um, yeah, the movie came out in 1972. Um, on March 24th, which is pretty interesting because today is, uh, it's March 23rd. So just a day off there. Um, and I kind of want to go into like the more fantasy aspects of this movie in terms of like, I sort of just went into like how this undertaker is asking him to, you know, kill somebody and how they take it very seriously. Um, you know, that's a little bit more grounded, a little bit more earth-based in terms of like, you know, that's heavy. Again, that like these more glossy movies where, you know, it's just like more macho freaking energy and, you know, they're just like taking everybody out. Um, it's just, it's, it's a little bit more grounded than that. And so they're, but like to, to, yin and yang this I guess um there are elements to this film that really make it kind of like this fantasy I think again when a movie goes over like two and a half hours um I mean you're you're in a very uh specific territory where not a whole lot of films are able to go and so um you know you look at these you know, again, to like go into Lord of the Rings. Um, even Peter Jackson's King Kong is like this freaking 
almost three hour ride of like, you're on the island and you leave, you're back in New York. And, um, you know, there's a million more movies that, that, that do this. And again, with Justice League just coming out, um, I think I've finally been able to wrap my head around like, yeah, it felt like a fantasy superhero movie. Like, you know, uh, Infinity Wars, Endgame, they capped off, (laughs) no pun intended, um, probably what, about two and a half hours, but they almost, you know, they're just a little bit, I don't know what the word is, like, like just a little bit too poppy for like that fantasy filter. Um, you know, this is more like a, I don't know, like in terms of music, the film has to feel like a, like the classical genre. Like it has to feel like a classical piece of music, I think to fit that fantasy kind of feel. Um, you know, so that's why like when you have like some of the Star Wars movies, it's, you have that phenomenal score, Lord of the Rings, you've got Howard Shore. Um, even Titanic, like freaking, um, uh, James Cameron, he uses, uh, I think he uses Howard Shore. Um, so anyways, it's just like, these movies are just like these works of like, of art. It's like, a it's, it's a Renaissance painting come to life, a, this beautiful rich tapestry of different textures and layers and, um, yeah, that's what this movie definitely carries throughout it. There aren't a whole lot of like super duper outlandish things in terms of like, oh, this could never happen. Or like, you have to like bend your reality a little bit to, to, to see it. Like, you know, as graphic as like things get further into the film here, um, everything we see so far in the wedding part like it's very real. You know, you've got the pop the, the paparazzi. You have um again like when the hell does this take place? It looks like the 40s. I think we kick off here in the 40s. Um and you've got the the FBI paparazzi. Sonny comes out. He's the hot-headed firstborn son. Um firstborn son. His name is Sonny, okay? Well, I mean, that's his nickname, but like he's the hot-headed one. It it's it's the whole um his fucking, his whole energy is just so heated and it's just so, um, oh my God, not to get into Zodiac shit, but it is very Aries. Like it is very like, it's just so fiery. And, um, you know, we see he, he gets a little bit too, uh, he flies a little too close to the sun here eventually. And, uh, but this whole scene, you know, to kind of like get into, uh, to get into Sonny's personality here in the wedding. Uh, we see him interact with his wife, you know, he's telling her to watch the kids. She's telling him to like, you know, watch his eyes. Cause clearly she's seeing him look around at the bridesmaids and he must have a reputation. Um, God, yeah. The, the energy of this guy is, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. So eventually we see Sonny, you know, he spits, uh, spits at the car of the FBI guy. He breaks the fucking camera of the paparazzi dude. And, uh, eventually he's upstairs with, uh, with the bridesmaids that a bridesmaid that is not his wife and, um, you know, just living that life. So 
that's kind of Sonny's deal. Uh, he's, when we see uh, Vito up in the room, the special, you know, uh, freaking Oval Office room, if you will, um, it's Sonny and Tom and whoever is asking for a favor of Vito. And so, uh, yeah, so that shows you, um, you know, Sonny's uh, princely uh, stature, uh, status here in this family's setup, right? You don't see Fredo in the room, I'm pretty sure. And Michael is just hanging out with his girlfriend, not even a part of this life. He clearly understands it because he tells, uh, Kay, Diane Keaton's character in just like the most, (laughs) like, uh, just has a complete 360 degree view on just this, like how these people operate, how his family operates, um, and how the other families operate and all the different connections you need to, uh, make this shit work. And so, um, to go from Sonny to Tom, I'll get into Fredo in just a minute, but Tom char- Tom's character is super interesting. Um, I I just I totally had forgotten that uh when he comes over to say hi to Michael, right? Uh, it's so funny because um uh Vito uh, Marlon Brando's character they're going to take the family picture, kind of like at the beginning of the wedding scene, and he looks around and he sees that uh Al Pacino, you know, little Michael's not not there. And, uh, they're like, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he's like, we're not taking the picture without Michael. We're not. And then he just like walks away. Like I, I, I said what I said and, and now I'm, I'm leaving and I'm walking away and I'm not going to take this fucking picture until, you know, the baby boy is there. So that's kind of like a fucking crack up. Right. And so anyways, when Tom comes into the scene with, uh, with, with Kay and Michael, Michael introduces him as his, like, brother, as his brother, and, uh, when he leaves, um, you know, she says, if he's your brother, how come he has a different last name? And in, like, one sentence, like, one or two sentences, he's like, oh, when we were, like, when they were kids, Sonny found him in the street. He had no home, so he just, he's just been here ever since. And then goes into, like, how he's gonna be the, uh, conciliary? I'm not going to say it again. Um, but basically like the counselor of the family, you know, like the number one advice man, uh, in the, uh, oh, what do we want to call it? The small council right here of Don Corleone of house Corleone. Um, so that's, that's kind of Tom, but to go back to when we see him for the first time, he is the only other one in the room, you know, again, with Sonny, with Vito, with whoever's asking for the favor. And, um, he's just super sharp. He's super, um, uh, observant. And, uh, the deal with him though, is he's not Sicilian. So like, I don't like, he can't really be anything. I I mean, I guess it's pretty much like a huge honor to be the like counselor, you know, eventually. So anyways, just Robert Duvall has a very 
just like uh, earthly just energy with this character um you know puts his head down gets the work done I think we see him like go to kiss his wife once and she says something like why don't you enjoy the wedding and he says something like uh a Sicilian has to take you know has to take the freaking favors asked of him on his daughter's wedding day so anyways blah 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 um but his character was always such this like interesting mystery like in terms of like okay so he comes from flea bottom like are we dealing with like a a Davos here uh and it's it, it I mean honestly George R. R. Martin could have like taken from this character because um yeah I am gonna make a weird Game of Thrones comparison here um you know he he is sort of that like advice uh I I'm gonna give it to you I'm not gonna spin things for you and in Game of Thrones the song of Ice and Fire we see uh Sir Davos be that person for Stannis right and uh you know what we know of Davos is he was just you know a young man from Flea Bottom that uh you know made his way made his way up the ranks right and so yeah anyways that's Tom. Again, I would love it if we could, um, like, I mean, you could really make this Godfather deal more of a universe. I know people were, like, not really into Godfather 3, which is, like, totally fine. But, um, a Tom Hagen origin story with, um, you know, somebody that possesses those, uh, those, uh, Robert Duvall type qualities would be pretty bad ass okay oh my god and then you could have somebody come in as like a young James Caan whoo that would be too okay too much I'm that's a lot of energy moving on um Diane Keaton uh really good in this role because she um you know she kind of carries this sort of like naive innocence um you know the way she asked Michael the question like these questions about the family and whatnot um she's very genuine about it you know she's not like fishing for information she's just like legit curious about like how the hell does this all work and um and she's just very sweet in how she uh you know, asks and brings things up. And again, Michael just has this like, whoo, like self-possessed way of telling her just like very grounded again. Um, I don't know what it is that Al Pacino does here, but like the one thing I really like about Michael, um, I guess I'll talk about Fredo as I get into Michael here. Um, it's like, it's just clear from the beginning he's he's the chosen one here in this story like he is he is um again star wars came out after this but like he's he's our darth vader here right like he is um you know he's very it looks young and innocent here but he's not he's i i'm he's i think he's already been to war um and yeah, he's, he's, he's a veteran at this point. So it's not like, and well, I don't know if he's still active duty or not. I want to be, I don't know. If, I want to make sure the wording is not um, off there, but uh, yeah. And like the family, it's just so 
like proud of like their their youngest guy, you know, uh, not really being a part of this. It's just this kind of shared energy. But like that kind of energy just always comes back to like, well, you got you're going to be the one, Michael, like, uh, oh, my God, what do they say? Uh, Dude, there was some movie that just flashed in my head. You're the one, Wyatt. Oh my God, yes. When freaking Morgan says that to uh, Kurt Russell's Wyatt Earp in Tombstone, it's like, you know, that's a loaded, that's a loaded uh, statement. You know, you're the one. You know, Frodo, he was the one. Harry, you're the one. Like, Harry, sorry, Voldemort lives inside of you at some point you might have to die in order to like kill this piece of like evil that like was shot into you when you were a baby but it's okay because you're the chosen one right okay so it's a very heavy it's a very heavy crown that we're gonna see fall onto Michael's head and uh um I'm kind of sad now because he's like, as like, like a nonchalant as he is about describing like how the family works to Kay. Um, there is still this like kind of sparkle in his eye, this twinkle. And at some point from what I can remember again, I just, I'm just here to this, uh, well, we're in Hollywood now. I'm at the, I just paused it before we get to the, the, uh, the horse, the horse in the bed scene. Um, but anyways, uh, he just becomes not his eyes just die. Like he just becomes this, this dead eyed, like entity at some point in this film. And it carries like all I can, oh, it's like, it's the only thing I can think of, like, like his vibes in uh part two, which like, oh, that's going to be a heavy one to watch here. <sighs> but it'll be okay. Um, but yeah, his journey, dude, I, it's just so dark and his face just becomes something completely different. You know what? I would like to put like a decent quality side by side when you first see him, when, uh, Kate, like it's this beautiful shot. I think I talked about it in the, this first episode. Um, you see Diane Keaton's hat is like pretty wide, like bride, wide brimmed hat. And the, she pulls away very slowly. And then you see, you see Michael come kind of come out of that shadow. And, um, it would be nice to compare that to like his last shot in this film or even the last shot, uh, in the second one. Cause when he's in Tahoe, it's woo, something else. So anyways, uh, yeah, then we see Fredo come in here at some point, you know, when he's with Kay, just, you know, just chatting, spilling those family secrets like JFK to Marilyn Monroe. And, uh, and he's just like, oh, dude, his energy, dude, he has to be a water sign. There's just no doubt. Um, and he's just, he's, he's the middle boy here. And it's just like, he's like, just like sad drunk and then he like tells Diane Keaton he's like this is my brother Michael it's like <sighs> anyways yeah so that that 
that's Fredo in a nutshell. And, um, yeah, just, uh, the mom, the mom is so cute when she's singing, she's having a great time. You can totally see like the connection between, um, Brando's character, uh, Vito and her, they're just like, you know, this again, this, they built this fan, this fantasy of what this family is, right? I mean, they look beautiful. This, this party is rocking. We've got the music and the pictures of, of wine everywhere. The cups look really cool. I'm a cup person for some reason. I don't know if that resonates with anyone, but, um, if you know what I mean, you know what I mean? Uh, there's like cute little glasses that they drink this fake wine out of. So anyways, and they're, they're dancing and, you know, people are asking for favors and you see, uh, I think it's Luca Brazzi, this big guy just freaking rehearsing what he's going to say when he goes up into the office and talks to freaking Brando. And it's hilarious because Diane Keaton's like, um, Michael, who's that guy talking to himself? And then he's just like, Oh, that's like one of the guys, right? And uh, I just remember watching this like with my dad, like, because I like, again, I had to, I begged my parents to let me watch this. So I think I was like maybe 13, 14, probably like freshman year, I guess, um, when they finally were like, okay, like, you can watch it. Um, but like, he would always be like, you gotta watch this part. <laughs> like, look at the, like, this guy's like so like nervous to talk to him and he feels so honored to like, be invited to like to the wedding of his only daughter and then he like prays that their first child will be a masculine child and it's just uh the dialogue this this movie's dialogue I don't you don't really like get this shit too much anymore not really like so anyways uh yeah so you've got this beautiful just fantasy tale of this family right like um you know, if you didn't see the, the behind, behind the doors, you wouldn't even know. You wouldn't even know. It's just this beautiful family, grandkids and, you know, sons. And then you've got Talia Shire. Again, I cannot remember. I'll get her name again in the movie. Um, dude, she is something else in part two. She is like, man, I don't even know what kind of a, I don't want to get into what Zodiac sign she might be. Um, but, uh, she is such, like, uh, she was really beautiful to watch because, like, I really do enjoy going to weddings. Um, it's been a while since I've been to one with, like, fucking COVID and everything. But, um, like, they're really nice, you know? Um, and so she just, like, really carries this beautiful bridal energy. Her husband is a piece of shit. Like, we don't like him. Like, you can see it in his face right away. Like, Fredo, he's sad. He's sad boy energy. Like, sad, sad, sad. This guy is like, who the f- Like, the most unrealistic- This is- Okay, I, did, I didn't even write this down. But, like, the most unrealistic thing in this whole saga is that- Don Vito Corleone let his little fairy, beautiful daughter marry this fucking asshole, okay? Like, this guy can read energy from a mile away. That's how he is who he is, right? He can play people like a 
violin. Okay, he's a master of bending people's minds and mind fucking them, and 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 making his favors seem like a blessing. Okay, and like he let this dude marry his daughter. I am all for like. Don't be the dad that's sitting on the porch with the shotgun, okay? You know what I mean? Like, let's let the girls fucking be with who they want to be with. But, like, also, you could have nipped this shit in the fucking bud, if you know what I'm saying. But I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on because I need to get into this fucking Hollywood moment here, which I think uh, Francis Ford Coppola in a non-mafia way, well, in a mafia way, well, I I think the weird layer unlayering that we're getting here, like the Stanley Kubrick eyes wide shut moment that we're going to get here in this uh, horse head, uh, head of the studio Hollywood moment is like, um, he's also letting you know that Hollywood is scary as fuck. And oh my God. God, I wouldn't want anything to do with it unless, like, you could be safe. And I don't even know if you could be... I don't even know. But anyways, yeah, he was definitely saying something here uh, without really... I mean, in this beautiful fantasy, you know, we're going to send someone... The family's going to send someone to uh, to try to make a deal. And, you know, if you say no... You might lose you might lose your last unicorn. And it's pretty sad. This part in this movie, uh I think I'm ready for it, but it's really one of the most badass moments and um I might have to have like a cup of tea before I watch this because, um, yeah, it's intense. And, uh, if you, all right, I think this is a great point to leave off because I cannot get this like certain picture out of my head. So let me like, who do I want to think of right now? Oh, well, I look at my paper and I see Johnny Fontaine. This is what this whole moment does. Okay. So, all right. Before I get into this next little chunk here, this is, uh, yeah, the Johnny Fontaine moment, the, uh, <laughs> right before, uh, right before Don Brando's character is like, I need to get to the wedding of, like, my daughter here, um, the whole, the whole, uh, gust of wind that carries us to California here is Johnny Fontaine, um, he is the, uh, godson of Vito, and he is a, you know, singer, wants to be in this starring role in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, he's crying and he's having this moment. And I was just like, holy shit, this is the uh, this is the uh, once upon a time in Hollywood moment where uh, where uh, Rick Dalton, Leo's character, is like bitching to Brad's Cliff Booth. And he goes, uh you know, and he's crying and he's like, you're Rick fucking Dalton and don't you forget it. And, um, and then he tells him not to cry in front of the Mexicans, which I was always like, what does that even mean? And then I was like, oh yeah, you know, 
Because, like, these Mexican guys are probably, like, these white dudes are already fucking weak as it is. And you don't want to be seen crying in front of them. So, anyways, uh, uh, that's what this moment was. Because Marlon Brando's character gets so pissed. It's This is a very uh, heavy masculine moment we're going into here. But, uh, you know, he basically almost uh, freaking knocks Johnny off of the table. He's like, you need to be a man and you need to stop crying and, you know, you got to do something about it, you know? And, uh, anyways, they, uh, they go and they go do something about it. So this, uh, this next part here, we're going into horse territory. We're going into satin sheets. We're going in. Oh, dude, we, you guys. Okay. We are going back to the bodyguard episode here. Okay. Time warp the uh mansion Whitney Houston's Rachel's character uh is at in the bodyguard with Kevin Costner is the same mansion that we uh that the uh horse head deal is at okay same location same same fucking house so that's that's where that's where we're going so buckle up no saddle up because we're going on a uh we're going on a a scenic pastoral ride through through Hollywood real quick and then we're going to go back to the family so yeah that was the wedding scene um and I'm just going to keep looking for more of these little fantasy nuggets that pop up here even within like the characters because again to get go it always comes back to Michael. To go back to Michael, um, he is a character who spends, like, once he comes into power here, he spends the rest of his life creating his own fantasy of who he is. Um, he thinks he's, like, creating a legacy. He's creating a fucking fantasy because everything that he loves breaks down, falls apart, because of fear, pain, power, all of that. Um, he, he has this idea of who he is, of who his family is. Um, he, he knows who they are at the very beginning. And then it just, it becomes this twisted yarn tale in his head. It's just a fucking fantasy. And it's not based on the reality of who he is and what he does to his family, to his children, to his wife, um, to his brother. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's a ride, you guys. It's a ride. So this is the, uh, first little part here when getting to the Hollywood scene and, um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see when we pop back up here in the episode. Okay, hold up. All right. Um, two seconds into this Hollywood part of the freaking, the our Hollywood uh, chapter of the Justice League Godfather series, um, this freaking Hollywood studio, whoever, the guy that's in charge with his little fucking, with his little man suit that he's wearing, the audacity, the audacity for him to say the things that he said to Tom Hagen. Tom Hagen is my favorite fucking character in all of these films. And he's like, he's never going to get this fucking part no matter what. Like, 
bro, you might want to take your freaking Harvey Weinstein levels from 11 and turn them down to zero because you just had Tom Hagen, okay, show up and just spill your tea, okay, about how, like, your star is fucking moving on to drugs and fucking union shit, you know, Teamsters, all that, whatever, and, like, he's being mean to him. He's being mean to him, and I just push pause, and the lighting in the scene is, like, Mm, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And, uh, yeah, Robert Duvall's face is like, oh man, like, (sighs) he's like, I really, this is going to suck for me, but it's going to like, it's going to really, really hurt for you. And that's all I wanted to, uh, I just, I just felt like I, I'm just, I'm upset that this guy who is my size is saying these things to Tom Hagen. It's not okay. And it's not cool. And, um, yeah, if we ever get a Tom Hagen POV, I, I hope that when he went back to like his hotel or wherever he stayed that night, like, you know, he just fucking, I don't know, like just threw knives at a wall for like 12 hours straight you know, with, like, the same fucking, like, like, uh, rusty Cole Matthew McConaughey true detective time as a flat circle just, like, face just staring off. You know what? Matthew McConaughey had that same freaking facial expression and frailty. I've just, that's all. So, um, yeah, time is a flat circle. And, uh, (laughs) We got to keep this little, got to keep this saga moving here, okay? I'm going to keep this ring moving, and I'm going to make it to fucking Mordor. Not looking forward to getting my freaking finger bit off by Gollum, but it has to happen. Frodo was chosen. Okay, in real time, we are at the, uh... Awakening of Don Corleone. We have gone from uh, Hollywood and horse heads in the bed to, um, you know, an assassination presidential style attempt on uh, Brando himself. And um, we see Michael stepping up to the, um, I guess I want to say the, the, oh my God, what's the, (laughs) baseball. I actually, I played softball, so I should know this. Um, Michael's on deck. You know what I mean? Oh, he's stepping up to the plate. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Michael, uh, we see Michael stepping up to the plate here and, um, and, uh, he, uh, he's, he's off in Italy. So his little sabbatical out there is about to happen. And, um, going back to Hollywood, uh, this, um, oh man, it's getting a little late. I got some iced coffee here. Actually, it's, uh, I have just like three shots of espresso, so God help me. Um, so what happens here 
after I got super upset about this little shrimp dick guy, um, being rude to Tom Hagen, being mean to him, he's saying all kinds of like racial slurs and he's like, Johnny Fontaine is never going to be in this picture. And he's like, well, I think you should like reconsider. And, um, then next we see, um, the two of them by the pool and the studio head guys like, Oh, if you would have told me it was Corleone, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, Duvall's just like, you know, listen, I can't just like say names here. Okay. Do you think like, like, that's just like not how it works. Okay. You don't just like, he's not like the fucking limo driver, like holding the freaking God. Does anybody even remember that? Like back in the day, like the airports when like the drivers would be like holding the, the signs for people. Anyways. So he's like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to just like say who I'm from, what family this is. Like, you know, he already knows this guy's an absolute dipshit, right? Because he has to go this far. And next thing we know, he is showing off this beautiful $600,000 horse. And I believe they mentioned it's 1946 at some point. So, um, that's a lot. So, uh, anyways, we see this beautiful horse and, um, you know, and then he says, what does he say that he's not going to put it out to race? He's going to, he's going to stud the horse. So he's got like this bitch and horse and he's not even going to like do anything with it other than like pass it on. Perhaps the seed is strong. I don't know. But anyways, um, yeah. If you've ever seen the movie before, seeing the horse again, getting to the stables, your heart is already like, your blood pressure is going up and you're just like, oh, I'm not ready for this, right? And so uh, then we get this little dinner scene between the two of them. And then this is where we see that this, uh, this freaking evil version of Tom Haverford from Parks and Rec, right? Uh, this freaking job of the hut esque, uh, again, I mentioned Harvey Weinstein. Um, I couldn't remember. Uh, I was just talking about this with my mom because she loves the Godfather as well. Um, I had in my head from like, it's been a while since I'd watched have watched these all the way through. Um, I was under the impression that the studio head, uh, didn't want Johnny Fontaine to be the star of this movie because of like the Italian thing or something. Like he was like super racist or whatever. Um, you know, this is like literally like the guy that like Weinstein probably was like, I'm going to base my fucking manifesto in life after this man. Um, no, he's pissed because the fucking actress chick that he was sleeping with as he refers to the best piece of ass he's ever had um she moved on from him to Johnny Fontaine okay and the the, the thing about this uh this role that Johnny wants so bad it's that like it's 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 kind of meant for him he wouldn't even have to act in it because it's so it's so like him um it just seems like he's got a lot of people 
wanting him and rooting for him to be in this film. And even the freaking studio head says, you know, this role's perfect for him. It'll make him a big star, but he will never have it because of this fucking reason. Okay, this is some freaking Mad King, Ramsey Bolton, Lord, just nasty king shit from generations past. This is like men, just bad men taking these women that they could never have in a thousand million years um and they like lust after them because like either they're just like these ethereal beings that they need to like diminish and like steal light from or like um they see that these women are with like truly upstanding like men like men men you know what I mean um you know like I I believe Gwyneth Paltrow like was uh someone that's uh, mentioned that or she said that Weinstein had you know done inappropriate stuff to her and this was like back in like the the later 90s and like the guys that she was freaking with back then like she was with Ben Affleck she was with Brad Pitt like this is not like you know what I mean like so like for like you know again, a job of the hut fucking Weinstein character, and I'm talking in terms of personality here, not looks. <clears throat> There's just, it's really scary that people like that exist and they have existed for so long. Like, it just, um, like, Coppola, again, to go back to, like, um, this portrait that he was kind of, painting in this specific, you know, um, uh, like these few scenes here while we're in Hollywood at this mansion, um, he's just showing you this, just like this deeply sinister, sinister side of Hollywood. That's just outside of like a, oh yeah, I know a guy who knows a guy, you know, he's like trying to show you that like, Favors are owed to all sorts of people and grudges are hold in many different realms, not just the mafia world, right? It's not just like, you know, the mob guys that can make something happen. There are multiple different entities uh, in this huge, ever-turning, ever-expansive wheel or web or whatever the hell you want to call it when it comes to um, Hollywood and movie making and, and TV shows and all of that stuff. So, um yeah, that's scary as fuck. You know what I mean? You could be with like the biggest, baddest fucking dude in Hollywood and there's still going to be the freaking shitty dude from Pretty Woman trying to fucking get you. Remember that guy? Remember Richard Gere's friend Jason Alexander played him? Oh man, it was really upsetting. But anyways, so that's what he was showing here. And um, it was really nice because this guy, um, it was awful that the horse had to go. But um, there was a bigger message to be sent here to this fucking piece of shit, right? It was like, um, you're going to give the guy the role because if you don't, um, you won't get a chance to wake up in your satin, beautiful, sheeted fucking bed with a horse head next to you, you'll just be dead with your head next to you. That's 
that's what I would, that's the message I would pick up from it. So I would be calling like my people immediately and being like, get Johnny Fontaine on the phone, ask him what he wants in his contract. How big does he want his trailer? What's on his freaking list of shit that he wants? Does he want all green M&Ms? We can do that. No, green M&Ms didn't even exist back then. But, um, yeah, the message was sent. Uh, it wasn't quite... I would say this is a, that was a, (laughs) that's a red wedding moment. Um, And the fact that George R. R. Martin, um, after the red wedding, has Rob Stark's wolf head sewn on to his dead body is very, like, um, wink, wink, you know? That was a big message. So, anyways, that's the, uh, that's the old Hollywood part. And next thing we know... Tom is, uh, you know, back with the family, um, and they are getting ready, uh, uh, they're getting ready to, oh, Jesus Christ, what's this guy's, Salazzo, (laughs) they're getting ready to go, uh, into a meeting with another, uh, um, another family boss, um, except this family has, uh, dealings in drugs, I believe they mentioned, like, white powder, whatever that means. Um, powdered sugar, probably. Uh, so anyways, um, you know, everybody loves a good donut. So, uh, Vito is talking to Tom and Sonny and trying to figure out, you know, is this a direction we should go in or no? And if they don't go in this direction, what's going to happen is this nice, you know, um, you know, little sea that the Corleones have, you know, where they keep the sharks in check and the fishes and everything has this order and everything. Um, by not coming like in on this deal or, or becoming part of, you know, adding drugs into their deal, it makes their, their, uh, (laughs) eco, eco, ecosphere, uh, their little habitat there, uh, a little bit more vulnerable, um, the, the waters are going to get a little bit deeper, a little bit darker, and the sharks are going to get a little more intense. And, you know, it's, um, it's a, it's a ride or die, sink or swim. Do we, do we stay or do we go? Hey, ho, let's go. Stephen King. Thank you for fucking always pet cemetery, dude. I'm never going to get that out of my head. Uh, so hey, ho, let's go. They go to the meeting and I just want to like acknowledge the suit that Brando is wearing like in the the two scenes where he's talking to Tom and Sonny. And of course, Tom and Sonny are like, well, we should do this. This is why it makes sense. And Sonny's like, yeah, that's the way of the future. You know, he gets all fucking Howard Hughes. Um, And, uh, you know, it's this like sagey light olive green with like this like paisley pocket handkerchief chief thing and just like it's like almost like it's fitted it's tailored but it's not like a it's not a tight fit it's just it looks like a beautifully comfortable suit and like I, I I, like who wouldn't want this suit like I kind of I kind of want this 
suit in a more, in like a, a tiny person version. Um, but anyways, it's really nice. The costuming, everything. Again, to go back to like the tailoring, it was like, this is a beautiful suit and it's tailored well, but like the fit is just different than anything else. You know, when we first see him, um, to go back to the, to go back to the wedding, um, Vito is in a, <laughs> the blackest fucking tuxedo you've ever seen in your life. Um, and, uh, with the, with the rose, you know, he's got this deep, vibrant red rose that like is a stark contrast to the jacket, you know? Um, and so this is a much like softer look. And again, this goes back to how his character does this sort of push and pull of this hard, soft man, um, Honestly, I would like to sit and try to figure out what this character's zodiac sign would be, but I don't think this is the audience for it. So I'm going to keep moving. We're going to keep moving on. So we get to the meeting, right? We still have the beautiful suit, okay? The boys are all there. Everybody's ready to go. And um, Don is just like, nah, like much respect to you. But like we're classy, okay? We're gonna keep it classy over here. We have some integrity, all right? Gambling's an honest trade, not to bring this back to Tombstone again. Oh my God, is that why they say that in Tombstone? <gasps> oh my God. When Wyatt Earp sees Doc Holliday for the first time in a few years after he kicks Billy Bob Thornton out of the fucking saloon um after he tells him you're sitting in my chair such a boss fucking move good god um anyways uh what does he say uh what does he say oh i thought you said gambling's an honest trade and he said no i said poker's an honest trade so anyways veto right here basically in like the bitchiest way he can, you know, in this like Southern woman, like bless your heart fucking manner basically is like, mm, well, um, yeah, I don't judge anybody for what they would. I don't judge a man for what he does in his life or, you know, like that's personal, but we just don't do that. And when you say shit like that, you're basically saying we're just a little bit better than that here. And, um, and, uh, you know, we, we deal with gambling, but you know, gambling's an honest man's way of getting stress off of him, you know, because drugs aren't. So anyways, it's really great. It's just this really subtle kind of just like bitchy, uh, but not bitchy, just little, uh, little remark there. Okay. Basically, uh, declining, uh, as politely as he possibly can. And a big mistake that Sonny makes here is that, um, he says what he thinks in front of everybody. And, um, daddy doesn't like that. Okay. And a true Papa Lannister Tywin Lannister fucking, you know, like eyeball fucking like looking straight at Sonny, like keep your mouth shut. 
like you little hot-headed mother trucker and then when the meeting's done he oh my god I have like two young sons and the way he calls Santino Sonny over to him is like the way you would call a five-year-old over to you he's like come over here like right when the meeting's done doesn't even like skip a beat right and he's like don't you ever like speak your business mind in front of people who aren't family like ever again like surely you know this and so um I I think this is a really good spot here um to where we we see that we kind of see from the beginning sort of that like I if you think of it think of the family in terms of oh okay well at the start of this this movie's journey uh if something were to happen to Vito or he passes away what what does this family look like with Sonny in charge and uh the little glimpses the little glimpses that we get um he's the kind of guy that definitely doesn't want um somebody breathing down his back which again like he's just has this fiery energy I can't even like oh I can't even explain it but um yeah no he's definitely like he just wasn't him and Fredo like Fredo and him were just not ever going to be the the number one not the number one son but the number one (laughs) now that's a succession reference right there which I haven't been making too many of those so number one boy okay number one boy is Michael right he's our Frodo chosen Frodo chosen one but um but Sonny here we we begin to see the the little the little cracks in his uh volcanic freaking mountain here he's uh he just doesn't slow down enough to think way outside of the picture um and that's a bummer so anyways uh that's that the Corleones they he it's decided no drugs okay moving on and it's supposed to be this like you know sort of respectfully declined thank you but no thank you um you know to go back to the uh all I wanted was a Pepsi I'll just figure it out by myself like the Corleones are like it's okay I'll just figure it out by myself um so Salazzo 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 Sleezo is more like it (laughs) oh my god this guy's such a freaking asshole um so anyways um oh this is where Luca Brazzi comes back in so the big guy that was talking to himself and was all like nervous to talk to Don and and dudes like a little like thank you for inviting me to the wedding um he calls him in and was like listen we we need we need some intel right and so we see him go meet Salazzo and they try to like make a deal with him oh work with us instead of the Corleones blah 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 and then they uh he's gone right and then uh yeah we see Fredo's like oh pop let me go get the car for you because the one kid called in sick and then that's when like Vito's sort of like huh like what do you mean called in sick and he's like hey he's he's y'all just I'll get the car I'll get the car pop and it's just so sad because like when the guys come to fucking shoot up Brando when he's getting the fruit 
what's really interesting here is he makes like the specific statement a couple times that he wants to buy some fruit at the little stand before they get in the car and they go home. Um, you know, the first thing he grabs is the oranges and, and when at the, you know, when he, when he does pass, you know, naturally walking around playing with the grandkids, um, he's got the orange slices in his, his mouth cause he was playing with the kids. Wow. I never noticed that. Oh, and pretty sure the fucking Johnny Fontaine character is based off of freaking, uh, Frank Sinatra. I'm sure people have probably brought this up before, but I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, that, that's the tea. I'm afraid to say too much because I don't want to get taken out. So anyways, he's getting the fruit, right? He grabs the bell pepper. I was like paying attention to every, I was like, what is he going to, like, what is Vito going to pick up here? Like, what is Marlon Brando in this, like, in this scene? What does he think that freaking Mr. Corleone needs to, like, take back to the house with him, right? You know, it's like some oranges and a bell pepper and, you know, and then bang, 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 right? And, oh, it's so, oh, no. Oh, it's so sad because, oh, my God, he goes running up. He just says, oh. I might, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> it's really touching because um, something that Marlon Brando does really well in this role is you just know that this, that this man loves his kids. He loves his sons. He loves his boys. We see it, the very, I mean, you see the very beginning, his daughter has this perfect wedding. And then um, you see it when they go to take the family picture um, that Michael wasn't there yet. So he's like, we're not taking the picture, right? Um, and then, you know, uh, Sonny and everything, he's all, you know, every, it's, it's Sonny's number one. He's number one boy because he's number one in line. Um, but this part right here, uh, he just is getting shot at and he goes running straight for Fredo. He says Fredo's name and he goes running after him to fucking shield him. And it's just a lot. And it's, it's really beautiful. It's this, it's a sadly romantic, just fatherly relationship that he has with these, with, with his sons. He's so close with them, but like, unfortunately, they're set up for a life, you know, on the fringes of whatever the hell you want to call normal society. Um, you know, they're set up for these, these roads. I mean, he, he knows with, you know, the first two, they're going to be in this life. You've got Michael that like, okay, we can make something different for him. I can at least have one son that's on the outside world. And then, you know, his daughter, you know, who I'm sure like, okay, if she falls in love and finds someone to marry, okay, good, right? So maybe that's why he didn't fucking give two shits about her marrying the absolute asshole that she ends up marrying. So, um, yeah, so he's all fucking busted up, right? Um, Tom Hagen is kidnapped, uh, and Salazzo and them are basically explaining to him, you know, your boss is dead, you know, um, 
make sure fucking the hot-headed Sonny doesn't come after us. Tell him we want to make a deal. He really wanted to to be part of, you know, he wanted to say yes when the old man said no. Blah, 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 blah. Um, really beautiful Robert Duvall, little tear, just this quiet tear, just like on the side of his little face. Like, it's not a little face. It's a beautiful manly face. Um, and, yeah, just catches the lighting just there because, you know, he's thinking like fucking this father figure he's always had, like his, you know, he's gone, right? Um, and yeah, oh, this movie is so long. (laughs) There's so much of it left. Um, yeah, so that is pretty much where everything kind of gets left off in terms of like, all right, like where, where does everything hang in the balance? Okay. And it's Michael who comes in kind of like uh, the man with the plan. Uh, Again, he is a war hero. They state that uh, specifically. And um, uh, he just wants to visit his dad, right? He's out shopping with his girlfriend and they see the evening papers saying that uh you know mob boss feared murdered blah 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 so it doesn't say if he's alive if he's dead he calls home Sonny's like where have you been we've been trying to find you and um you know no cell phones no beepers no tracking devices so um you know he he um does he go home first and then sees then goes to see his dad anyways so I am going to take a break here to drink some more coffee, but um, this next part I'm going to be talking about is where we see Michael Michael turn his, uh, his wheel for the first time, because again, being a war hero veteran, um, being like in combat, the moment where he's at the hospital and he knows somebody's coming for his dad and there's like nobody there, like the police have gone, they've been paid off to leave to leave Vito unprotected while he's in this absolute vulnerable position, um, Robert Baratheon style, you know, just like lying there, um, all torn up. And, um, yeah, we see Michael, like he just, he, he just, he comes up with this plan, this mission. He's just like, uh, I gotta, you know, like we gotta move my dad. Um, he sees the baker guy and it's just, it's this beautiful, he just pieces these things together so freaking well. Um, and that's, that's the turning point here. Like this is where the movie goes almost in a whole different direction. Like this is where we see Michael is steering the, the ship. Um, and there's going to be a separation between him and Sonny because of what he has to do um, before he goes off to Italy. But uh, yeah, it, it's again, it was it was Michael. It was Michael all along. He's our uh, he's our Anakin. So, yeah, I'll be getting into that part next. So I have hit the magical like one hour mark here and um I was just looking back on like the first episode of this season and I was like oh wow that's an hour and 50 minutes long like every episode since has been like 25 to 30 minutes which is pretty good um but for this (laughs) giant freaking uh epic tale of a of a movie here um I am going to get into Michael 
um, and his first uh, mission with his family here and um, kind of wrap up. I think we're, I think I'm over halfway through the movie. Um, but uh, yeah, so what I'll do is I'll take Godfather part one, do two episodes, Godfather part two, two episodes because um, I don't want to make this a two hour or three hour long episode of just me rambling on about, you know, Al Pacino. I can do that. I will do that. I would do that. I could do that. I kind of want to do that, but, um, I'm not going to, not right now. Um, so let me kind of wrap up this specific episode again, over, over the halfway mark here through the film. And, um, you know, daddy, daddy Brando is, he's been, you know, I think shot like five times or something like that. Um, and, oh dude, I didn't even get into, uh, so as he like calls out to Fredo as he's getting shot, you know, as he's getting the fucking fruit, um, Fredo goes to like grab his like little gun and go to shoot, but it like slips out of his hands. And then like, he's then like his dad's just like lying there and he's just like all he could do is just sit on the curb and it's just really sad like like my dad would make fun of him a lot like when we'd watch this watch this with him but like really um yeah looking at it I just was like this character had have gone through something like during childhood like somebody must have beat him up or something like he just he's the sad boy and he yeah he's very broken and um this response he has you know the the the, oh god this actor's so good he's also in a dog day afternoon with al pacino as well that's like the bank heist movie really freaking good um so anyways uh yeah this this actor just really does a uh beautiful job with Fredo and he's just heartbreaking to watch his whole storyline go down so now we have um we've got dad's in the hospital Michael's going to visit right baby boy coming to visit dad okay he shows up it's kind of dark nobody's really there a nurse He's like, what's going on? Where's the police? Where are the men that are supposed to be guarding him, right? Um, Yeah, they're not there. And he knows inherently, you know, shit's going to go down. And he has the nurse move his dad from the one room to a different one, okay? Um, Sees freaking a guy outside who's a good guy. He's the baker. He's Enzo the baker. You know what I mean? He's Enzo the baker. So, um, freaking, he tells him, like, wait here. I'll be right back. He comes back outside and he, uh, tosses the flowers the guy brought for his dad, uh, flips up, you know, flips up the lapels of his freaking jacket, right? To give him that kind of like tough guy look. And he says, you know, put your hand in your pocket like you've got a gun. And so they're both standing there and, you know, uh, 
you could see this guy kind of like gets it right away. You know, it, it, it took him like one second, but he was pretty quick. Okay. Michael has a way of just, uh, it's a, it must be Pacino of just like looking straight at you and like you just like inherently knowing what you need to do, you know, like you have to like step up to some kind of plate. Um, so <laughs> they're both standing there, right? With their like, you know, guard vibes. And you see the first freaking <clears throat> drive-by dudes go by. Don't do anything, right? And then uh, the police come. The paid-off police, the Salazzo police guy. And uh, this big-ass police chief, um, you know, starts giving Michael a rough time. He tells the one cop to freaking arrest him. And the cop says dude, he's a war hero. I'm like, I'm not touching him. And, uh, and that ruffled, that ruffled his feathers. So anyways, he ends up breaking Michael's jaw, socking him across the face. Okay. But what we have here is, um, I guess we could compare this. Not that Michael did anything wrong. He was literally just protecting his dad. But, um, if um, we're going to compare him to Anakin and go into like space fantasy comparisons, um, this is where we see Michael do something, you know, out of goodness, out of the, you know, the pureness of his heart. It's his dad. You know, this is like Rob, Star Rob Stark marching south, you know, to uh, to try to rescue Ned before he lost his head. Um, didn't work out so well. Didn't work out so well for Rob. Um Again, this doesn't work out so well in the long run for Vito, and it doesn't look, work out in the long run for Michael. Well, actually, you know what? Vito comes around because, anyways, I'm just I'm spinning out of control here. Um, this moment here would be kind of like when Anakin is like, "Where the f is my mom?" Back on Tatooine, like about to cut down some Tuscan Raiders, and um, except you know. Uh, <laughs> Michael doesn't get to to those guys till like a scene or two later because just with this first little mission he does you know what I mean with just the way his the way he's been built in his young adulthood um you know seeing his dad vulner vulnerable like that it was it was okay we need to save him it's, it's survival mode for my dad like fuck me fuck you like we got to make sure my dad like lives in this situation and he does he comes out the other side eventually uh he returns home <clears throat> I think that's where I left off um but but Mr. Corleone little Corleone Michael um I'm gonna leave off right about here the next time <clears throat> we see him with his poor puffy face um I think this is the next scene uh, you got Sonny and I think Clemens and, um, oh my God, the Abe Bogota. <laughs> I can't remember his name in this movie. Um, and, uh, did I say Sonny, Tom, you know, the whole, the, the crew, right? <clears throat> the crew's in the office trying to figure out what to do. Oh yes. Okay. Hold on. I did not write this down, but I remember this. Okay. So they're all in the office, right? They're trying to figure out, you know, the next move, this and that, whatever. You know, they just had a freaking police captain break Michael's jaw, um, a paid off one by the guy that just tried to take out their dad. So it's like, what, what's the next step? Where do we move, you know? <sighs> and uh, 
everybody's kind of sitting around like in front of Vito's desk and the only person, the only person who goes near the desk, touches the desk, is Michael. He goes and he grabs, uh, there's a pack of cigarettes sitting on it. He grabs one and, um, and he lights it up. Ooh, hold on. At the hospital scene with the, 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 the baker guy, where he pops up the collar for him. He goes, um, to light a cigarette after like the guys pass by and his hand is so shaky. He can't light his own cigarette, but Michael is fucking Michael, right? He takes the lighter for the guy and holds it as steady as can be and lights the cigarette for him. And it's like, fuck dude. Like it's, it's just amazing because again, this is like, almost you know over like an hour and a half into the film and it's just like he just it's like when you're at the beach and like you get those little like those little I think what are they called swells the little soft waves you know that don't even like form like a crest up at the top um and they're just like whoo you know they just kind of like float on by right and you're just like yeah that's nice and then you know you you're looking at the shore and then you turn back around and there's a fucking like tsunami size wave like behind you that's what happens with michael it's literally just like just uh, i wonder what he was like when he was in the war but anyways um yeah he just oh my god this is just one of the greatest characters just of all time like this is literally just you know, sometimes you just got to go back and you got to rewatch some things to just like be like, yeah, there was a reason that like, you know, my brain at like a stupidly young age was like, I need to see this movie because it's just it's it's I I should read the book. Um, But yeah, it's. uh, Yeah, this is where the family starts crafting Michael's tale. This is where his fantasy starts becoming uh you know I guess his reality this is where um this next move that they have to make whether you're all sitting in the office and they're plotting and trying to figure it out um you know it's uh what comes next and everything after that is the beginning of 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 the fantasy of the tale of Michael Corleone and you know I think it's a little bit different in his head than what everybody else observes on the outside. And those are kind of like the best tales. You know, you've got like Walter White, um, you know, to not bring everything back to fucking Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader. Um, You know, he's always a character that like, you were just like, when am I going to like root for this guy? Like, aren't I supposed to like be cheering for this person? Um, And it's just he's just such a he's just such a complicated character so this is where we go from seeing just sweet baby michael you know to just (laughs) just kicking it up a few notches you know turning it up all the way to an 11 and um yeah i'll post um i'll post uh the next episode probably within probably tomorrow or the next day um because yeah I just don't want to make this a 50,000 hour long uh podcast episode 
but this just Francis Ford Coppola beautiful just beautiful um yeah actually let's do this okay so the small council right okay they're sitting in the chambers okay the hand of the king not the hand of the king this is the king's fucking chambers right and oh yeah Robert Duvall's character Tom Hagen he is the hand of the king right um that's his role unfortunately and he watches all these princes you know play musical chairs for a hot minute and then he goes from being the hand of the king to one to the father to the son and the holy ghost no anyways um but yes so the small council they're all sitting there right you got all the guys all the close players alvito's closest confidants trying to figure out what do we do now okay we know the police you know over the hospital they're not going to help us the captain is paid off by the guy that just tried to kill our dad what do we do how do we kill how do we how how do you take out a you know the the, the captain right how do you do that and 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 not scare your your associates away or whatever contacts that you have away right and um <clears throat> michael plainest day her first little like dead-eyed look you know that twinkle is kind of gone um because he just says just so nonchalantly just so like he just basically like why can't we just like kill both of them and they're like what the fuck are you talking about and he's like yeah i'll just i'll just kill both of them and like god bless him i think it's clemenza right away who just like rides with it doesn't even like blink doesn't even flinch just like a true like freaking i don't know captain of what i don't know what's the word captain of the guard sure whatever um he's just like uh michael's like yeah it's got to be you know at a, a public place um you know can't have the gun when you go in there and um uh, you know, then it, then it just goes from there. It's like, okay, well, we'll put the gun. We could, we can hide a gun at the place, right? Then they figure out, they get the call. They figure out where the place is. Oh, I've been there before. <laughs> Perfect. Right. You know, um, oh yeah. The bathroom has those old fashioned toilets with the, the pull down flush handle. That would be a perfect place to hide the gun. Okay, great. I'll go in clean with them. Come out. And then they're like, two pops each, put the gun on the floor, and it's time to bounce Michael. And he's just like, perfect. And they're like, let's do this. And then Sonny's like, <laughs> Sonny's just like looking around like, like, uh, like, <clears throat> almost like Ant-Man, just kind of like flabbergasted, like, 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 seriously. And it's like, he goes up to Michael, you know, again, to bring this back to Tombstone, to bring it back to Tombstone in a very, uh, erp type way. Uh, he, he's just like, you know, this ain't like killing a man from, you know, a hundred feet away. This is like, you know, right in front of you, seeing it all go down. And, um, I think Michael was just sort of like, Hey, Sonny, <laughs> I've been to war. Okay. Like, I know you're here 
and I know you've been hanging out with dad and you've been learning things and you fucking throw cameras on the ground and you're freaking screwing bridesmaids in your freaking childhood bedroom at our parents' house, like on our sister's wedding day. But like, I have been to war. So like, I, like, I, like, we got this. Okay. And, um, yeah, he, he had it. He had it. Um, they, he gets picked up by Salazzo and the police captain, chief, whoever, whatever. Um, they go to the restaurant. I think they like fake him out. Like he says something like, are we going to Jersey? And then they like flip around. It's just, that part was weird. Um, and then they get to the restaurant and hold on. This car part just reminded me that I totally skipped over the cannoli scene. So, um, Vito's driver that was sick the day that he got shot, they were like, we're definitely going to get rid of him though. Like we don't even have to think twice because like this is our own guy. So we're going to just like get rid of him. Um, I think Clemenza, yes, uh, it's told to get some cannolis. So anyways, they're all in the car together and he's like, I got to take a piss, oh, which is so funny. Never trust somebody when they say they have to go take a piss because chances are you're going to get whacked while they're peeing or you know, Pacino's going to come back and just go pop, pop. So anyways, he's like, I, I got to take a leak. He gets out. The one guy gets whacked and, um, they have to switch cars and he's like, leave the gun, take the cannolis. Okay. That's a very, it's an infamous scene. So anyways, um, so in true, true, uh, fashion and flow to the, the rest of, I mean, to that scene to kind of mirror that a little bit. Um, he's sitting out, sitting down at dinner and he, like, Michael just has this look of, like, like, he's, it, it, like, he's looking at two dead men. Like, he's, he's looking at them like they're already dead. I can't even, like, I can't even explain it. I don't even know what Al Pacino does here. But, like, because when he comes back from the bathroom, he's a little bit different. Like, his eyes are a lot shiftier, just in the sense of, like, I think he's kind of almost counting down um, cause they think at first they were just like having, planning on him just coming out of the bathroom right away and just going boop, boop, drop the gun, leave. Um, but he didn't do that. He sat down. So it's like, he sat down and he listened to a little bit more fucking garbled freaking shit from Salazzo. And then I think he only did Salazzo once. My counting could be off, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he only did him once. And then my dad would always be like, look at the way, look at the way he gets the other guy. And yeah, that's, uh, that was unfortunate. That, that, that actor was pretty interesting the way he chose to go down in that chair with that napkin tucked in. So anyways, he followed directions. He dropped the gun, walked out. And, uh, so now what happens here, is uh, Michael has to leave. He has to go, you know, cool off, let everything blow over for like a year in Italy. Or does he go all the way back to Sicily? Anyways, I, we're not there yet. Um, so yeah, he. I think he's back at the house one more time, you know, going over shit. And um, uh, oh yeah, one of the ways that like Michael brought up because again he's so fast and he's so good at like pulling the puzzle pieces together 
um, when they were in the little the office trying to come up with their their next their next plan or their next step. Um, he mentions uh, they're like, well, how are we going to get away with you know getting rid of um, the the captain or whatever. And he was like, well, he's a dirty cop, right? So we have police, I mean, we have uh, reporters and journalists on our payroll. So that makes a good story. Everybody loves a fucking scandal. Like he's just, he's just in tune with it, right? Um, And it's just, yeah, you just see him rise so fast, so quickly, so intensely. And again, as soon as he's in that restaurant, as soon as he's in the car, almost just in that office, like, after, after his jaw is broken, um, he knows that, like, he has to step up into this, like, I think he almost knows that, like, at some point, like, Sonny's not going to really be around anymore, and, like, you know, it's definitely not going to be for Fredo to, to, uh, to handle or take over, so on that note, I'm going to leave off, because when we come back, uh, Italy is quite a ride. It's like, um, I just, uh, yeah, there's some pretty wild things that happen out there. And speaking of fantasy, when you get out there with those shots and, um, just, just this, the scenic beauty and landscape, it looks like, uh, it just looks very unreal from a different planet. Um, so it brings, uh, oh, it brings a whole different meaning to the word fantasy because I guess you could say Michael's, uh, Michael's stay in Italy. I mean, I guess, you know, YOLO, you gotta live once, but like he meets a lady there and he just, it's, he basically pulls kind of like a Rob Stark and, um, yeah, he does. Wow. Okay. God, there's so much more. There's so much more left in this tale. Like this is, they have to do something. I mean, I know these are classics and I would never be like, Oh, we got to reboot something, but like there has to be a way to, bring some freshness back to this like franchise or like just some kind of I don't know how can you like stir up interest in like a story like this again because like this is a tale that's almost like mythical now at this point because like these sort of things just don't really exist at this level anymore um you know speaking of journeys we see for uh Fredo is off to uh He's off to Vegas, I think, to learn the casino business, which, woo! Thank you for joining me for this Snyder cut of The Godfather. Um, got through the first half of the, uh, the film here, and the next episode will be all about the second. So, again, thank you for joining me. Have a wonderful day. Stay safe, stay curious, and um, yes what a journey this is going to be. Probably a four-part journey. So brace yourself. And um, you know what? Oh yeah, again, uh, the movie came out March 
1972. And I think by the time this episode's posted, it will be March 24th, 2021. So what are the odds of that? Like, that's weird. Like, that's super weird. So anyways, stay weird. <laughs>